Well, kids, uh, over the past couple of months now, we've been in a series on the book of Proverbs. And it seems a little late to be asking this question, uh, given that we're concluding the series today. But does anybody know what a proverb is? Can any of the kids... uh, Yeah, Keen. A wise saying. That's a great answer. Yes. Uh, Probably should have asked that week one. Uh, But proverbs are short, simple sayings that provide wisdom about how life works best. Okay? And so far in the book of Proverbs, uh, we've only been looking at the introduction to the Proverbs. After all of this time, we haven't even gotten to the actual Proverbs yet until today. Uh, But what's been happening up to this point is that the wise father has been preparing his child to value wisdom and to pursue wisdom and to live a wise life. He's been getting his child ready to receive the wisdom that that the father wants to give to him. And, And like the wise father who's been preparing his child to be able to rightly receive the Proverbs, I... Uh, want to help you be ready to do that as well. In order to get you ready to receive the Proverbs, kids, uh, I have another question for you. Does anybody know what this is? I know it's a little hard to see, but anybody know what this is? Mary Martha, can you? It's, it's like a fireball. It's a Emery knows because she saw me pull it out of my bag. It's a jawbreaker, okay? Uh, uh, anybody know what would happen? If you put this into your mouth and bit down on it really hard, what would happen? Yes, in the back. Um, you would either, um, you would either really yes, I think the first though, Amelia, it would break your jaw, right? This is an aptly named piece of candy, okay? If you bit straight down on this piece of candy, you would get no enjoyment out of it, and it might actually do damage to you, okay? And so if you're not supposed to crunch down on this piece of candy uh, with one swift bite, then how are you supposed to eat it? How are you supposed to eat a, a, a jawbreaker? Yes, Jeffrey. Suck it. Yeah. Let it linger in your mouth for a little while. Savor the taste. Let it roll over and over and over again on your tongue. Right? That's the way to get the most out of a jawbreaker. And, and kids of all ages, <laughs> this morning I want to suggest to you that the Proverbs are a lot like jawbreakers. If you just bite straight into them, you will not experience their intended purpose. And you may cause some damage in your life. Cracking your proverbial teeth, if you will. But if you take these Proverbs and you allow them to stay with you for a while, if you will contemplate them and consider their meaning, rolling them over and over and over again in your mind, then you will begin to experience the layers of wisdom that are available to us in them. And you will taste the sweetness and the goodness of these words which will make you wise for life. And so today, as we've finally made it to the actual Proverbs, before we set you loose into reading them on your own, 
I want to talk to you about how uh, to best read them so that they will help you and not hurt you. And so kids, on your activity sheets, hopefully you got activity sheets. If you didn't get one, go get one in the back. On your activity sheets, there are some questions for you to listen along and try to answer during the sermon. And if you come and show me your answers after church, I might have a prize for you. And I bet you can guess what it might be. Okay, (laughs) Parents, be forewarned. Right Now, for everyone with the Bible, I want to invite you to uh, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 10. As we're going to consider together how to read the Proverbs so that they will help us and not hurt us. You may have noticed we've skipped over uh, chapters uh, 8 and 9 as they are largely uh, issues that we've already covered a number of times in this series. Chapter 8 was more about the blessings of wisdom. Chapter 9 was all uh, about uh, the two ways of wisdom and folly uh, once again. But here in chapter 10, we finally get to the actual Proverbs of Proverbs. Um, And beginning here and continuing throughout the end of chapter 31, these are the sayings of wisdom that we all expect to encounter uh, when we open up this book. And so as we begin to dive into the actual Proverbs... There are three points uh, that I want to highlight, which will help us to receive them as they are intended to be received so that they will be beneficial for our lives. The first point that we need to consider with the Proverbs is whether or not they are promises. Have you ever thought about that? Are, Are the Proverbs promises for our lives? It's an incredibly important question to ask because the answer will have a profound impact on our experience as we engage with the Proverbs. Take, for example, what is probably the most obvious and the most problematic of all of the Proverbs in this regard. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, which states, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, is that a promise? That if we instruct our children the correct way, then when they are grown up, they will abide by all that we've taught them? If that's a promise, then what does it say about the parent whose child walks away from the faith and flounders in life rather than flourishes? If this is a promise, does that mean that the parent of the wayward child failed to do their job as a parent? That they didn't train their child properly? Or that they weren't diligent enough in their instruction? If this is a promise, can you imagine the guilt that a parent would experience? Or the shame that they would feel if their child did depart from their teaching? That would be a crushing weight to carry throughout life. On the flip side, if this proverb isn't a promise, then what's really the point of reading it and following it? If there's no guarantee regarding the outcome, then why bother? Now, this is obviously one of the most prominent examples because it's one of the most well-known proverbs and because every parent wrestles with these issues at some point. And let me just add that there are interpretation issues to that particular proverb uh, that complicates our understanding of it. 
But this larger question of whether or not the Proverbs are promises applies not just to this most famous of Proverbs, but to all of the Proverbs that we'll read in this book. For example, in today's passage, in chapter 10, verse 2, we read, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Now, if that's a promise, then how do we understand all of the examples in our world where people did evil and wicked things and profited greatly, like slaveholders throughout history, or organized crime rings that have made many people rich? And how do we explain all the examples throughout history where good and righteous people were handed over to death rather than being delivered from it? Like the Christians in the Roman Colosseum or the wrongly accused victims sentenced to death row. If these are promises, how do we make sense of them? And if they are not promises, then why bother with this so-called wisdom at all? You see the dilemma. To answer this question, there's a couple factors that we have to consider. The first is that these proverbs are part of what is known as wisdom literature. And each genre of literature needs to be understood and engaged according to its own rules. So, for example, you wouldn't take poetry to be factual or apocalyptic literature to be literal. Instead, poetic literature uses artistic language, and apocalyptic literature uses very dramatic language, both of which are intended to paint a picture of what something is like without actually or necessarily describing the thing itself. And so for both of those genres, you can only understand their intended meaning when you read them in that light. Likewise, with wisdom literature, wisdom literature as a genre advises its hearers in the ways that are most likely to lead to the desired consequences if all things are equal. Right? If nothing goes wrong, in other words, this is how things will turn out. It's what usually happens. And so wisdom literature as a whole is generally true, but not always true. Things typically go according to what it says, but sometimes in a fallen and broken world, things go wrong and don't turn out like they should. So usually if you do wrong, you get caught and don't profit. But occasionally in this world, people get away with it. It's usually true, but it's not always true. Usually, if you do the right thing, you'll be spared from judgment and destruction. But occasionally in this world, you get condemned and executed even when you're innocent. It's usually true, but it's not always true. This is how wisdom literature works. Now, in the case of the book of Proverbs, we're dealing with not just any old wisdom literature, but we're dealing with biblical Wisdom literature. And that is something different entirely. But because in in biblical wisdom literature, it's not just that it is generally true now, but it is also always true in the end. And so while generally in this world, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, never in the end 
will wickedness be rewarded. In the end, wickedness will always be found out and judged accordingly. Likewise, generally in this world, the righteous are delivered from punishment and death. But always in the world to come will that be the truth, that the righteous will live. And so biblical wisdom literature is unique in that it tells us what is generally true of life right now, but always true of the life to come. This is the first advice for reading the Proverbs so that it will help us and won't hurt us. That we should read all of these Proverbs as biblical wisdom literature. Where usually now, but definitely later, this wisdom will prove itself true. And so, it's worth heeding even if you don't immediately see the outcome that you desire or expect. One day you will see it. The second point that we need to consider with the Proverbs is, what do we do when there are Proverbs that are incomplete or that seem to contradict themselves? Okay? And this is also a really important question because it happens fairly often. Let me give you some examples, first from the world and then from the Scriptures. Who's ever heard the proverb, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy and wise? Anybody heard that before? What is that proverb saying? Somebody tell me. Emery, thank you. Sleep is good for your health. It'll make you wise, right? Okay, so, so does that mean that I can eat McDonald's three meals a day, every day, and as long as I go to bed early and wake up early, I'll be healthy and wise? Is that what that means? Of course not, right? If I did that, I would be a well-rested heart attack waiting to happen, okay? Uh, so the point that I want to make is that no single proverb ever gives you the whole truth. Instead, they give you pieces of truth. And it's only when you gather them together and put them together with other Proverbs does a a full picture of wisdom begin to appear. So when you take early to bed, early to rise, and you pair it with an apple a day keeps the doctor away, right? Then you begin to get a more full picture of what actually leads to a whole body health, right? Um, it depends not just upon it depends upon what you eat and how you sleep. Right? That's an example from the world. Uh, now let me give you some examples from the scriptures uh, of how this works. In our passage today, from Proverbs chapter ten, verses four and five. We see two Proverbs about the correlation between work and wealth. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. That's a proverb about about diligence versus laziness. But then in verse 5 says that he who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is is a son who brings shame. Now, this is still about the correlation, generally, of of work and wealth. But but this proverb focuses on the necessity of timely work, right? 
That it matters not just that you do your work, but when you do your work. And so when you put those two Proverbs together, you begin to get a more full picture of how both diligence and timely work lead to wealth. And throughout the book of Proverbs, there are more than a dozen other uh, Proverbs that continue to fill out that particular picture on the Father's wisdom of the correlation between work and wealth. Which in the end will show that, that its industry and its contentment and its thrift and its forethought, among other things, which all work together in order to produce wealth and protect against poverty. The same is true for Proverbs that appear to contradict one another. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, we read that when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lip, lips is prudent. Now, this seems to be a proverb that tells us if we want to be wise, we should shut up. Right. Generally good advice. But the very next verse, verses 21 and 22, seem to say the exact opposite. They say that the tongue of the righteous is choice silver and that the lips of the righteous feed many. These two proverbs aren't saying to shut up, but the exact opposite. They're saying to speak up. That if you have something that is important and true and right to say, that it is, it is good to do so. And so again, if we want to know what wisdom is in regards to our words, we need not just one single proverb, but we need all of the wisdom of the proverbs to help shape us and form us on this topic. We have to read them together as a collective, not as as one-off, end-all, be-all instructions. And in this way, the Proverbs work together to, to fill out knowledge and to clarify any apparent contradictions. It's, it's a bit like pieces of a puzzle, right? Um, that need to be fit together in order to, to see the full picture. And it's only when they are taken and, and, and taken together and fitted together do they give us a, a full multi-dimensional picture of any particular topic. So that's the second way uh, that we need to understand the Proverbs um, So that they help us and that they don't harm us. We need to view them collectively and piece them together like a puzzle in order to see the full picture of what they're saying to us. The final point I want to consider uh, this morning before uh, you go and dive into the Proverbs uh, for yourselves is regarding the lens through which we should read them. Are the Proverbs law or are they grace? Are they behaviors that lead to belonging or to blessing? What ultimately is the purpose of them? And even though the answer to that question may seem obvious, it's still a really important question to ask and to answer. Because as human beings, we have an apparently unlimited desire and ability to seek to justify ourselves through our performance. Left to ourselves, we are constantly seeking to prove our worth, to earn our keep, to validate our status, to demonstrate our value. We are constantly seeking to justify ourselves through our performance. And if we're not careful, the Proverbs can easily become a means by which we try and do that. 
We could walk straight through the Proverbs of chapter 10 and the rest of this book and use them as a measuring rod for how good we are as a person. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. I've made my father glad and I haven't been a sorrow to my mom. Check. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2. I have not enriched myself through evil means. Check. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. I've been diligent and not slack in my work. Check. 10, 5. I've gathered in the summer and at harvest time. Check. Proverbs 10, 6. I haven't concealed violence with my mouth. Check. On and on we could go. Straight through the next 659 verses of the last 21 chapters of this book. We could use these instructions and our obedience to them in order to try and prove our value, our worth, our moral superiority. We could use them to try and justify and to validate ourselves as good and acceptable sons and daughters of the wise father. The human heart will always want to do that. And it will always try to do that. And unchecked, In the end, that will leave us either feeling self-righteous about ourselves and superior to others because we've done so well, or it will leave us feeling terrible about ourselves and envious of others because we've done so poorly. It will either leave us filled with pride or full of despair. It will leave us either feeling like God owes us because we've been so good or that God could never love us Because we've been so bad. Either way, engaging the Proverbs through the lens of law and as a means of self-justification will ruin us. But of course, that's not how the Proverbs are to be viewed or how they are to be engaged. These aren't rules that we have to follow. They are wisdom from the heart of a father. These aren't laws given in order for us to become children. They are love spoken because we already belong as children. The reason we know that's the case is because of how the wise father addresses his child throughout this book. All the way back in chapter 1 verse 8, Solomon says, Hear my son, a father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. In chapter 2, verse 1, we read, My son, if you receive these words and treasure up my commands, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. In chapter 3, verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching. 4, verse 1, Hear, O son, a father's instruction. In chapter 5, verse 1, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. It is all throughout this introduction to the Proverbs. The wise father isn't giving instructions on how the child can become his son. Instead, he is lovingly sharing his wisdom with the one who is his son. In that way, the Proverbs are are like a dad who loves his child and just wants the very best for them. So he invites them to come, to sit next to him, to walk alongside of him, 
And he pulls them close and he puts his arm around them and he says, My child, I love you. I want you to be blessed. And so I'm going to share with you the ways in which you can experience the most fulfilled life. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Wouldn't you want your father to do that? That is our God. That's what he's doing in the book of Proverbs. He pulls us aside to pour his wisdom into us. He draws you close in order to teach you how to flourish in this life and in the life to come. That is love. That is grace. That's the lens by which we should read these Proverbs. And the good news for us, church, is that it doesn't matter if we make mistakes or if we get something wrong or if we occasionally get tempted down the wrong path. That does not affect our status as sons or as daughters. We don't have to get this exactly right. God's perfect son has done that for us. Did you hear it in our gospel reading today? From John chapter 5, Jesus heard all of his father's wisdom, and he lived it perfectly. And as a result, we don't have to. We just get to keep crawling up onto our father's lap and letting his wisdom wash over us again and again and again, day after day after day, as we grow better and better and better And our ability to hear Him and to understand Him and to trust Him and to follow Him. Don't you want to do that? This isn't a have to. It's a get to. And if you will read the Proverbs through a lens of grace, then you will long to spend time listening to the Father, to the wisdom of the Father. Church, as we wrap up this series and send you out with the final 21 chapters of this book to explore, know that these are ways to read the Proverbs. If you will remember that the wisdom in this book is mostly true now, but certainly true later in the end. That these Proverbs piece together like a puzzle to give you a full and complete picture of wisdom. And that to receive them is pure grace from your heavenly Father who loves you. If you'll read them like that, then you'll avoid the pain or the confusion that a misreading might cause. And you will enjoy the sweetness of God's wisdom as you savor it throughout your life. May we do so for God's glory and for our good.